Briz the City. Welcome to Briz the City, a podcast recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. My name is Kyle Hagee. And I'm Sam Woods. And we have a very important announcement about an even more important action step for you today. And what is that, Kyle? Look, Sam, it's more important than getting all your friends subscribed to the podcast. Mm, uh, I'm not, okay. It's tough to say, but I Skeptical. think it's true. It's even more important than telling your own mother you love her. No. Okay? No. It's no, that now important. Now you've gone too far. I haven't, because this is the foundation of our democracy. It's the bedrock of our country. It's the one thing you do where you get a cool sticker at the end of it. It's voting, all right? And the Democratic primary is fast approaching. It's going to be on August 14th, and we want to provide you with as much information as possible to motivate you and your friends to the polls. That's right. So today we are bringing you the third of four interviews with gubernatorial candidates. We sat down with Kelda Royce to discuss her experiences before deciding to run for governor, why she is the best candidate to defeat Scott Walker, and why Wisconsin is in need of a new generation of political leaders. Yes, it's a very exciting interview, and we also have a special outro of this episode brought to you by Fabi of the Wisconsin's Choice Campaign. Now, we've mentioned the Wisconsin's Choice Campaign before on the podcast. It's a campaign that's helping to facilitate a people's champion on the Democratic ticket for governor, and more importantly, help people across the state get involved in this race. Now, we at Bridge the City love the work they are doing and are excited to give you the chance to hear directly from this campaign. So please check them out at WeChoose, that's W-I-Choose.org. Yes, that's an excellent action step to take and an excellent resource for people interested in this race. But this has been way too much talking from two people who aren't running for governor. So I think it's time to pass it off to the candidate that is. My name is Kelda Royce, and I'm running for governor of Wisconsin because I want to restore opportunity and fairness to our state. So we were really impressed by the experience you had leading up to this run. Do you want to just touch briefly on kind of your professional experience? Sure. Well, I think my most important qualifications, I'm born and raised in Wisconsin. I love this state. I'm a lawyer by training, graduate of UW Law School. I spent four years as executive director of NARAL Pro-Choice Wisconsin, working to increase health care access for Wisconsinites. I served two terms in the Wisconsin State Assembly and one as the Democratic Caucus Chair, which is a leadership position. For the last five years, I've been an entrepreneur and a small business owner helping to grow my business to serve customers in 41 counties across Wisconsin. You released a campaign uh, announcing your candidacy. It, was, it went viral um, <laughs> yep, uh, for, um, leave largely due to an impromptu uh, breastfeeding session with, with your child. Uh, is it Avalon? Yes, yes my daughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your daughter, yeah, daughter Avalon. But I wanted to talk about how you ended that, that ad, mm-hmm. um, and you ended it with the quote, uh, democracy only works when we all get involved. So I wanted to ask, how are you uh, organizing or otherwise uh, utilizing you know, the power of the people, power of the public uh, in your campaign? That's a great, great yeah. question. And, you know, I think what you guys are doing is exactly what I'm talking about. You know, it is certainly incumbent upon political leaders and people running for office to try to engage people and inspire them. But ultimately, this is a team sport. It only works when people are engaged. And so um, my campaign is really about building connections among people. As, as we travel around the state, it's hearing their concerns um, and responding to them, not me going out there and talking at people. Of course, I want to share my ideas and my vision, but I also want to learn from people um, since I don't know everything. 
and hopefully get people engaged so they want to talk with their friends, their neighbors, their colleagues about the issues that are important to them and hopefully why they're supporting me in this important race for governor. We've got already a couple of dozen people who are Kelda captains and they're organizing locally in their own communities, helping to gather nomination signatures, um, put together grassroots house parties, um, let me know about events on the ground, and really doing local grassroots organizing, which is a passion of mine from back in my days at NARAL. So we've alluded to the fact that the field is already very crowded. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> so I think um, something that's on top of mind for me, and I think a lot of voters, is um, finding a candidate that you agree with, but also finding a candidate that can win mm-hmm. in the general election. So how do you differentiate yourself amongst the other candidates, and mm-hmm. why do you feel that you have the best chance to defeat Scott Walker in the general? Kyle, that's exactly the question that I asked myself last summer. Um, when uh, I was approached by a number of people asking me to run. My criteria for a candidate to support was, number one, I want somebody who shares my values, somebody who's progressive and I don't have to worry uh, that they're not going to stand up for public education or health care for all or choice or gay rights. Number two, I wanted somebody who could actually win, who's running a smart strategic campaign and who I can see actually going up against um, Scott Walker in the debates and being unfazed by whatever they're going to throw at us. And third, I want somebody who is prepared to be governor on day one. This is not an entry-level job. This is a very, very big commitment. And um, it is not a joke. We need to make sure that we have a governor who, regardless of the composition of the legislature, is capable of putting together a strong progressive budget, um, staffing up the executive agencies, and using the great power of our governorship to make sure that Wisconsin moves forward and is the best place to raise a family and the best place to grow a business. I have all of those things. So um, a lot of talk about the fact that I'm the only pro-choice woman in the race. A lot of talk about the fact that I've got young kids um, and that I'm, you know, I'm a member of Gen X. I'm not a baby boomer. So those things certainly set me apart. But I think the biggest differentiator in this race is that I have a long track record of progressive success, actually passing legislation in state government that makes people's lives better. And that's the big differentiator in this race. So that's a perfect follow-up for my next question. Um, With your time in the Wisconsin State Assembly and in leadership roles, um, like you said, you need to be prepared to work with the legislative no matter what the the composition of it is. Mm -hmm. What did you learn about compromise in your time there, but also what did you learn about getting bills passed that you were really passionate about or that the people Mm -hmm. of Wisconsin were really passionate about? Well, I learned the most about compromise from my four-year-old daughter, who's an incredible (laughs) negotiator. (laughs) But um, yeah, 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 fair. uh, But you know, I am really proud that throughout my legislative career, and even before that, so many of my legislative successes were gotten not just by ramming through whatever I wanted, but by working with people on both sides of the aisle, people with ideological differences from me. Now, I am proud of my progressive values, uh, and I'm never going to compromise my values. But when it comes to getting things done for people, I think we have to recognize we live in a diverse society. We have to be willing to listen to people who have different ideas and um, be willing to compromise to get something done. For instance, on health care, which is a life or death issue, whether people have health care coverage. Um, so I've done that not only in the legislature, when I was in the majority, when I was in the minority, but when I was the head of NARAL Pro-Choice Wisconsin, you know, reproductive rights are some of the most contentious difficult personal issues, I think, in politics today. And I am really proud that as the head of NARAL, I helped to pass the first pro-choice law in Wisconsin in 30 years. Uh, And we did it 
even though Republicans, an anti-choice majority, controlled the state assembly. Uh, that's the kind of leadership and tenacity and willingness to listen and work together that you can expect from me as governor. And that even goes back to my law school days when I helped to pass criminal justice reforms with some very conservative Republicans to try to prevent wrongful convictions in our state. We were looking at, again, your experience before running for governor, and I think you've touched on kind of the skills you've learned from those and how you use that to, to benefit uh, in the political realm. Um, we also were seeing that you were a, a business owner at one point. or Yes, I have a, a, I'm have. i an entrepreneur and a small business owner yeah. for the last five years. Um, and I think something that maybe is very stereotypical is people think, oh, the GOP is like the party of, of business. And Scott Walker's always talking <laughs> about we have Wisconsin working again. What did you learn uh, as a small business <laughs> owner about whether that's fact or fiction? Well, I think that, you know, in this instance, the numbers don't lie. And Wisconsin for the last three years, unfortunately, has been dead last in new companies. And that is where the majority of net new jobs comes from, right? You can't have a strong, vibrant economy, much less a strong middle class without small businesses, companies that are new and growing like mine. Um, we've beaten the odds in Walker's Wisconsin, and I want to recommit Wisconsin to being a place that isn't just for big business, not just for Foxconn and corporate tax giveaways to those who already have millions of dollars. We need to make sure that we are investing in homegrown innovators, whether it's a family farmer um, who needs credit to be able to buy seed or equipment until they can harvest the crops, whether it's um, somebody who wants to start a hair salon or a coffee shop, or whether it's somebody like me who has an idea to um, innovate with technology to make an industry better. We need to make Wisconsin a place where people want to live and where they are able to turn that dream into a reality, because that is how you build a vibrant economy that works for everybody. Just to follow up on, on Foxconn, to go from small business to, <laughs> to very, very large yes. businesses. Given, I, I know that you've come out strongly opposed to the deal. Um, Again, uh, my four-year-old is a great negotiator, and right. she would have negotiated a better deal with Foxconn. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm wondering, what it, what do you see as the way forward, given that you know a deal has been signed? Um, what's, what is the way forward um, mm -hmm. with, with that Foxconn deal? Well, the, there is precedent for the state to get out of signed contracts. I mean, this current governor basically threw away almost a billion dollars in federal investment and a manufacturing facility for high-speed rail when he became governor for purely ideological reasons. I mean, that was a disastrous mistake, and it ended up costing taxpayers tens of millions of dollars to get out of that, that contract. Now, I think we need to be very intellectually honest with taxpayers about what can happen with the Foxconn deal. Now, I will, as governor, pursue every means available to me, including state and federal litigation, um, including working to slow the process down, including using my administrative powers to stop this deal. But I think we need to be very cognizant about what the state of Wisconsin's responsibilities are and what the impact is going to be on taxpayers. Um, certainly, we cannot afford to pay Foxconn $4.5 billion. I mean, my kids will be paying that off until they're my age. I'll be 40 next year. So uh, that is crazy. We cannot allow them to uh, pollute our, our waterways, um, as they've done in other parts of the world. They have a terrible track record. We can't, um, I, I mean, we just cannot allow them to get away with the deal as it's written. So we have to figure out ways to, to stop that deal, put in safeguards for taxpayers. And I'm not a person that says, you know, Foxconn should never come to Wisconsin. 
I think that any company should be proud to come to Wisconsin because we have a great workforce. We have great um, quality of life here. There's a lot we have going for us. I'm just saying, if you're going to come, you need to follow our laws. You need to pay your taxes like every other business, right? Like my business does, businesses across the state. Um, and I think, you know, when people say, well, we can't afford early childhood education, or we can't afford to let people refinance their student loan debt, or we can't afford to fund uh, the university system. I just say, well, really? We found $4.5 billion from Foxconn that my kids are going to pay for. And I think that's wrong. We need a governor whose priorities are in order. You mentioned earlier about uh, wanting to turn Wisconsin blue or working to turn Wisconsin blue, both mm-hmm. in your past and, and what you, you know, that's that's the goal. I'm relatively new to Milwaukee. I just moved here last summer. Welcome. Know, Thanks um, for coming. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been fun. Um, and I know that uh, Kyle has not been here much longer. Yeah, just three years. Just three mm-hmm. years. And, you know, from a, you know, a young person from the outside, Wisconsin hasn't seemed particularly, you know, progressive. But that being said, I mean, like, I've read a little bit about the history of Milwaukee. I've people have told mm-hmm. me a little bit about the progressive history of uh, Wisconsin. So, first of all, is that is that assessment correct? Is that assessment that you know Wisconsin has lost touch with our historical progressivism? Um, you know, is that assessment correct? And uh, in your what in your opinion, and if so, what in your opinion has caused us to slip away from those values, and how can we kind of uh, come back to them? I grew up in Wisconsin. I was born in Marshfield, grew up in Medford, which is in Taylor County, north of Highway 29. Um, And then later, my family moved to Madison. And the values that I grew up with were about making sure everybody has an opportunity to succeed, public education, clean air and clean water, and preserving our beautiful natural places, taking care of each other. These are Wisconsin values. I mean, you know, now it seems like, oh, these are progressive values or liberal values. I, I disagree. I think these are badger values. And Uh, And Wisconsin has been at the forefront of so many progressive movements. I mean, the labor movement. We were the first state to pioneer workers' comp. We were the first state to have employment protections um, for gay workers so that they wouldn't be discriminated against. So uh, Earth Day, which we're about to celebrate, you know, started in Wisconsin by our former governor, Gaylord Nelson. So we have a lot to be proud of in this rich progressive heritage. I do not think that Wisconsin has turned away. What happened was um, we are in some ways a bellwether state. We are um, a state with a lot of ideological diversity and we've, you know, we were the state of Gaylord Nelson, um, but we were also the state of Joseph McCarthy. So we've always had uh, diversity of thought in Wisconsin. We've had ticket splitters. You know, we had Russ Feingold and Tammy Baldwin, but now we also have Ron Johnson. And what happened is is as a bellwether state, we moved back and forth and um, in presidential years, Democrats show up and turn out to vote, and in midterms and in spring elections, Republicans do. But over the last eight years, what's happened is that Republicans gained power at a particularly dangerous and precarious time, and that was redistricting. So every 10 years when the um, when it comes to, to draw new maps based on population shifts so that all the dis- districts are equal, Republicans had control. And it was the first time that they had had complete control um, in many decades. And they drew maps that were so rigged and so unfair that it doesn't matter how many Democrats turned out to vote, Republicans would always control about 60% of the seats in the legislature. And that um, case was the basis of a lawsuit that's now before the Supreme Court because it was so egregious, the gerrymandering. We want to make a quick note that at the time of this interview, the Wisconsin gerrymandering case was being heard by the Supreme Court, but just this past week, the Supreme Court made a decision, and this decision basically kicked the question 
of is gerrymandering unconstitutional down the road. Uh, and they passed this specific case back down to a lower court for some technical issues, um, but they still haven't really made a concrete decision on the legality and the constitutionality of gerrymandering. So if you aren't well-versed in gerrymandering and its effects, definitely read up on it, as it seems to be shaking out as one of the big political fights of our generation. But there are other shady electoral tactics in addition to gerrymandering that have been used to Republican advantage in the past, as Kelda explains. Um, they also passed campaign finance laws to make it easier for them to put pump dark money into our elections. Um, that was, And then we had the Citizens United decision out of the Supreme Court. Then um, they've recently decided to disband the Government Accountability Board so that uh, there is no public watchdog over our politicians. And when um, Walker was about to face the consequences of breaking the laws against coordination, well, they decided it was just simpler to change the law and say, oh, well, um, dark money groups can actually coordinate with campaigns um, because it's easier to change the law than to face the consequences. Voter suppression efforts, making it harder and more expensive and more difficult for people to vote, certainly uh, for people of color to vote, but also for students, for seniors. Uh, so when people talk about Wisconsin going red, I think we have to look at it within the context of the very, very successful Republican efforts to insulate themselves from the political consequences of their actions. Because people of Wisconsin do not support taking us backward. They do not support destroying our public schools or our natural resources. They don't support taking health care away from people. It, and we have seen not just the policy impacts of the Republicans, but also what they have done politically. And that is why Wisconsin has been in the situation that we're in. And that's why a Democratic governor is the way to overcome that, because you're not going to gerrymander a governor's office. We'll still have to contend with some voter suppression. But I think we do that by having a candidate that energizes people, excites them, and gives people a reason to actually go show up to the polls for something and not just against. You know, if this shift in going from a bellwether state to a pretty red state is a, is a policy outcome as opposed to uh, a switch in, in like political culture of Wisconsin. What can the governor do um, to, to kind of either rectify that or, or reverse that? And what can the people of Wisconsin demand from Madison um, to you know, reverse mm -hmm. that or, or correct mm -hmm. that, otherwise correct that? Right. And I think this is a really important question that's going to face our next governor. You know, certainly from a, a legislative perspective, there is a lot that we can do to make it easier for people to participate in democracy, to vote. I've been a longtime supporter of public financing for campaigns so that you don't have to be wealthy or great at fundraising to run for office. I think we should have universal adult franchise. There is really actually even no need for voter registration. It's a relic of Jim Crow, and a lot of people don't know that history. But there are states like North Dakota that have no voter registration. And just when you turn 18, you can vote. Um, and that's how it should be. Um, I certainly would restore the Government Accountability Board and the idea of having a, an ethical watchdog that can investigate elected officials and public officials when they skirt the law or they try to use their office for private gain. Um, I think that's really, really important. We need open, honest, transparent government again. That's another thing Wisconsin used to be known for is clean mm -hmm. government. Uh, that's part of the progressive reforms of about 100 years ago. So there are certainly things that we can do to make it easier. And obviously, as governor, I will ensure that any maps that are passed following the next 2020 census uh, are fair maps, where the voters actually get to choose their elected officials and not the other way around. That said, I do not want to downplay the real ideological fault lines in Wisconsin. I mean, people 
there are really true conservatives in this state. There are moderates, there are independents, there are liberals, um, there are uh, there are greens, there are libertarians, right? We have people from all spectrums. And I think it is so important that we change the tone of our leaders. And rather than having a governor who profits politically from dividing people uh, and you know fomenting hate and division and anger, that we have a leader who works to bring people together, who treats everyone with respect, regardless of whether they agree with me on issues or not, and who says, it is my responsibility and it is my privilege as the leader of this state to do my best for every single person in the state, not to leave anybody behind. That is the big difference between me and our current governor. So you mentioned that a great way to get around voter suppression or the only really way we have currently with our governor is energy. Mm -hmm. And I think we've seen since the election of President Trump, great energy from a lot of people that were like, this was too much and now we need to get involved. We've seen districts in Pennsylvania and even Wisconsin too swing 20 points Mm -hmm. um, just since uh, the last election. Are you encouraged by what you have seen? Mm -hmm. And then secondly, how do we maintain that energy? Um, Do you think it's just going to be like a a one-time thing or how do we keep that energy going forward so we don't have another President Trump in the future? Well, I don't think that this is a moment. I think this is a movement. I think we've already, it's already been a year and a half and it, it the energy seems to be growing. Mm-hmm. And it is certainly, you know, I mean, I think that obviously people are horrified by what is happening nationally and this is a moment of emergency for our country. But I also think that a lot of uh, it is about Walker has had eight years. He's had his chance to govern and people are ready to turn the page. Elections are about the future. And people are excited about the chance to move in a different direction. Part of that is electing a new governor. Yes, the national environment matters somewhat, but that's not going to necessarily be enough to propel us to victory. I do think that there's a tremendous amount of energy, starting with the Women's March, and then you had the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement. A lot of excitement about women. And there's a lot of excitement about a generational shift in power. Baby boomers in this state have run the show for like 40 years, basically for my entire life. As I said, I'm going to be 40 next year. So I'm Gen X. And I think that voters under 50 are the biggest untapped resource for Democrats in this state. Yes, you know, we can win in the suburbs. We can get some of the married suburban women who voted for Walker a couple times, but are disgusted by Trump. Yes, we need somebody that is going to turn out our progressive base and has uh, strong connections in Madison and Milwaukee. But more than anything, we need a governor who can speak to the economic concerns of my generation and your generation, things like student loan debt, affordable child care, paid family leave, um, and certainly climate change in the environment, and building a modern economy. Those are issues that I understand personally, because I live them. And I'm the candidate that has built my campaign on speaking directly to the economic concerns of what is now the largest voting bloc when we show up. And Wisconsin Democrats are not going to win without people my age and people your age showing up in bigger numbers at the polls. That's our best ticket to victory. Is it important to you to start shifting conversations to Gen X or millennial issues that like I need to label them as you know generational issues, but things mm-hmm. like affordable housing, um, especially in cities, or you know student mm-hmm. loan debt. Those typically absolutely are and transit of... and yes, I, I do. I mean, I think that elections are are about the future, 
and our generations represent the future. We're going to be around. We're going to be paying for all this, the credit card spending that this governor has done on tax credits for the wealthy. And we deserve leaders who understand and are willing to speak to our generation's specific economic issues. We are the 10th most moved out of state. It's going to be very hard for us to remain economically vi- viable and have a, a dynamic community if we are losing people at the rate we have been. We need to make Wisconsin a place that young people want to live, that they want to stay, that they want to have a family, that they feel there's economic opportunity for them, that there's a high quality of life. If we're going to do that, we need leaders who speak explicitly about things that we care about. And you don't have to be a member of Gen X or a millennial to talk about those issues, but I seem to be the candidate in this race who is really talking all the time, everywhere I go, about issues like student loan debt and climate change and um, livable cities and affordable childcare and paid family leave. I mean, the issues that are everyday top of mind Mm -hmm. to younger voters. I see a challenge in that you want to shift conversations to you know, issues that, you know, you know, that are relevant to millennial lives or relevant to Gen X lives. How do you do that without losing sight of the unfinished battles of yesterday, the, mm-hmm. like uh, pro-choice movements, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, livable wages, things like that, things right. that are kind of like were should have been solved by now, but they're not. But the sort of the, the core democratic issues of, uh, you know, the last 20, 30 years, right? Mm-hmm. And absolutely. I, I, I don't think that um, these are mutually exclusive, right? We have to have living wages for workers, all workers in this state. And that affects people who are 65 and people who are 25. People of all ages are concerned about the environment, about want, making sure we have a great public education system. So, I mean, I, I, just, I don't think that this is like a you can't walk and chew gum type situation. <laughs> I, I think that, um, you know, we win by bringing people into the coalition. And, and that's what this is about. I mean, I still talk about, yes, we have to protect Social Security. Yes, we have to um, keep Medicare strong. But I also want to expand access uh, to Badger Care and, and in, increase uh, the stability of the Wisconsin retirement system by creating a parallel system that anybody could buy into, any Wisconsinite could buy into. As I travel around the state, people who, you know, in their 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s can relate to what I say. And I see their heads nodding because they understand this through the perspective of their kids and their grandkids. And, you know, there's one thing that that, uh, I could generalize and say grandparents want more than anything. It's to be near their grandkids, right? So they have a stake, too, in wanting to make sure that their kids want to raise their grandkids here in Wisconsin. Um, And I think this, you know, this spans generations and adding more economic relevance for younger people is a net plus for us. Do you see this race as a battle for the future of the Democratic Party or Democratic platform? Hmm. I think this race is about the future of Wisconsin. This is our one chance to beat Scott Walker. You know, he has been the luckiest, luckiest politician throughout his career. And he's been in public office, I got to point out, since I was in eighth grade, right? Like I was a middle schooler, super dork, and he's been in elective office. The only race he's ever lost was to a feisty, progressive woman, now Congresswoman Gwen Moore. You know, he has bested some of the most talented and successful politicians in our state. And I think that the only way that we are going to beat him is with somebody who is dynamic enough to engage the progressives, somebody who is ready and capable to govern as well as handle whatever the slings and arrows that the Koch brothers are going to throw at our nominee. 
and somebody who makes Walker nervous, somebody who's young, energetic, and provides the strongest possible contrast to his policies and his vision for the state. The Bridge to City podcast is really focused on like action steps. Love um, it. Yeah, we, Good, we listen, me too. We listen to a lot of podcasts <laughs> and it's just information, but mm-hmm. you're kind of left with like, well, what to do now? What do I do now? So I really want Kelda Royce to be my next governor. Yeah, what should yeah, I do? Exactly. <laughs> so what can people do if they hear this and they're like, this is my candidate? How awesome. can they get involved? Okay. First of all, you can go to my website, which is keldaforgovernor.com. Kelda is like Zelda with a K, forgovernor.com. Um, you can sign up for my email updates. You can share that website with your family and friends. Second, you can go on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and follow me and like my pages. Share that content far and wide. I mean, this is going to be um, a primary where who, whichever candidate has the most excited supporters is probably going to win. Mm-hmm. I feel great about the momentum that we are building statewide, but frankly, I can't do it by myself, right? There isn't enough money or time in the world. So you've got to tell everybody you made, hey, I heard this podcast or I checked out this website or, you know, share on social media. I loved this and it really got me thinking. That's how we're going to win this race. If people are so inclined, you can send me five bucks or 50 bucks or 500 bucks um, because I'm not getting money from the NRA. I'm not getting money from um, the Koch brothers. Uh, people can sign up to volunteer with a campaign. We've got Kelda captains, as I mentioned, all over the state doing organizing. Uh, we've got people doing phone calling and door knocking, helping collect nomination signatures from now until um, June 1st. There are so many ways that people can get involved. Um, you know, whatever is comfortable for you, hosting a house party or a Skype session with a group of group that you're involved with. Um, this is really a campaign. It's not about me per se, it's about the Wisconsin that we can build together. And so I just ask for people's investment um, so that we can finally restore opportunity and fairness to this beautiful state. I'm also curious, just because you have so much experience, what have you found uh, to be ways that citizens can affect change, like on a state or national level, outside of just campaigns or helping someone win a campaign. What has been some of the more powerful ways you've seen everyday citizens uh, affect change? Kyle, that is such a great question because um, the election is really the beginning, not Mm -hmm. the end, right? We have to hold our leaders accountable. And part of that is using the tools that we have available, whether it's social media or traditional media, writing letters to the editor to make your voice heard, talking with people who are influencers in your community, um, identifiable community leaders, showing up at their, you know, the Capitol or the city council meetings and making your voice heard, saying your piece. And now that can even be amplified using social media. So you can go show up and you can have a friend Facebook live it. So there are all kinds of ways that we can amplify the voices of everyday people in our state. That's an ongoing part of democracy. It's really our responsibility. It's not just the elections and the campaigns, although that is essential. You know, it's been very inspiring for me to see, for instance, the young people from Parkland and then all over the country rally and rise up and say, hey, adults, we are living under the specter of fear for our entire childhoods and we are done. You are going to act or we are going to vote you out. And I say, bravo. (laughs) It's wonderful. Um, And they are demanding change. And they have done more in the last three months to reshape the whole debate about gun reform Mm -hmm. and gun safety in this country than, you know, all the advocacy groups and the media and frankly, you know, legislators have been able to do in the last 30 years. So sometimes 
you know, you just are at that right moment. And so a lot of politics is about timing. So just catch that, catch that right timing and push it until we get the change we deserve. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, both of you. So that is all we have from the gubernatorial candidate, Calder Royce. Kelda brought up a lot of important issues, protecting Wisconsin's environment, the Foxconn deal, how to tap into Gen Z and millennial voters, and what Badger values mean to her and to the state of Wisconsin. She really had something for everyone, and we highly encourage you all to check out her website and become a Kelda captain if you feel inspired by her and her campaign. We also want you to know that she is one of the four remaining candidates for the Wisconsin's Choice campaign. And because of this, we have a special outro for you from Fabi at the Wisconsin's Choice Campaign. We know you'll enjoy it, but after listening, please make sure to check them out at WeChoose, that's W-I-Choose.org, and get involved in selecting a people's champion. And as always, thank you for listening to Bridge the City. Let us know what you thought of the episode or ideas for future episodes at BridgeTheCityPodcast.com. And now, here's Fabi to close us out. My name is Fabi Maldonado. I am the organizer for the Wisconsin's Choice campaign. Uh, We are a statewide campaign. We are a collaboration between our Wisconsin Revolution and the Wisconsin's Working Families Party. What, What we've done is we've made candidates take a strong stance on the issues, right? Mm -hmm. So we've made candidates take a pledge. You'll get our endorsement if you're going to protect our environment. You're going to be raising the minimum wage. You're going to be protecting the undocumented. So we've also gone throughout the state of Wisconsin growing this campaign by finding new new people who have never been involved in the political process through a forum that we've thrown in the past and or house parties. Essentially what we want to do is plug these people in into the political process, get them aware of gubernatorial race in general. So we started with 12 candidates and the field got narrowed to nine and then we just finished. So this is where we're at right now. We just finished our second two round of voting, and we run from nine to four candidates. The four candidates that remain in no particular order, mm-hmm. uh, Kelda Royce, Kathleen Weinhout, Malin Mitchell, and Mike McCabe. What we're, what we're trying to do in round three again, which will be the voting will be open from July 16th to the 19th. We are going to be hosting a live forum in Madison, and that would be July 15th. So the reason why we want it to be live is because we want to host multiple watch parties. Now at these watch parties, uh, you watch the the live debate and, you know, essentially you get your friends and your families there. So you could just have like a, a real intimate moment with, with all the candidates that are, you know, going to be speaking mm-hmm. at this forum. And we want everybody to see it. For this third round, we're asking people to vote. And the way you qualify for voting is that you have to commit at least 10 hours volunteer for either the, the People's Champion or Wisconsin's Choice campaign itself. Our website to get involved is www.wechoose.org. That's W-I-C-H-O-O-S-E.org. So thanks to Fabi for promoting this wonderful opportunity for people to get more involved in this race. As Fabi mentioned, please check out their website and learn more about the candidates and participate in both the virtual forum and the final round of voting. And one last treat, if you are missing having a president that is actually eloquent, here's Fabi's favorite quote from President Obama. One of my favorite quotes of all time was from President Barack Obama was, uh, you are the change you've been waiting for your whole life, and that is so true.